When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Department of Labor and OSHA in particular stands ready to work with companies on keeping their workers safe as we continue to move through this phase of the pandemic. This issue of getting inflation under control should be the principal issue. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Jay Powell is getting confirmed, and his job is to give Republicans a reason to stick with him. We probably won't get all of the bill back better we presented to the Senate, but we can get big, important pieces of it. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's one of those days where you need to be listening to Bloomberg Radio in real time as we watch major stories evolve from the reversal on Wall Street to the fire hose of headlines from Russia and Ukraine. We'll have all the latest for you here on the fastest hour in politics and talk about it all with foreign policy expert David Tafuri. Later, the president meeting with his new competition council this hour at the White House. We'll talk rising prices, the threat of inflation, and of course, this week's Fed meeting with Brian Deese, director of the National Economic Council, and the panel is intact. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are back with us. Now, we turn to the situation involving Russia and Ukraine with tensions seeming to grow more intense over the weekend. On Balance of Power earlier today, I heard people's opinions changing from Friday to today. And President Biden held a video call last hour with our European allies. As the U.S. moves to evacuate the family members of diplomats in Ukraine, we told you that was coming. And as the U.S. prepares to possibly send up to 5,000 or more troops to Eastern Europe and the Baltics, it sounds like more if needed. Here's Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby. Secretary Austin has placed a range of units in the United States on a heightened preparedness to deploy, which increases our readiness to provide forces if NATO should activate the NRF or if other situations develop. All told, the number of forces that the secretary has placed on heightened alert uh, comes up to about 8,500 personnel. So we're talking more than 8,000 possible. And the comments also followed a meeting between the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, and European foreign ministers this morning. A lot of talking going on here. People need to stay in touch as he tries to keep everyone on the same page on the other side of the ocean, not always on the same page in Europe when it comes to this. And well, that's where we begin with David Tafuri, former Obama campaign foreign policy advisor. It's great to have you back, David. The president spent the weekend with his national security team at Camp David. Then the, the, the fire hose of headlines, as I described it, followed. Are we entering a new phase in this standoff? Well, I think we're entering a phase where President Biden and his team recognize that they need to do more to deter Putin. 
Uh, as the president mentioned last week, he does seem to think that Putin is going to mount a increased invasion or presence in Ukraine. So they've announced the readiness of these troops to go into Eastern Europe. But notably, they're not going to be going to Ukraine yet, just to other yeah. countries in East, Eastern Europe that we also want to defend. But the, Vladimir Putin the team doesn't is also want probably, Yeah, the team is looking for other ways to deter Putin. Um, sanctions may not be enough. I think Putin knows sanctions are coming if he does this. So also the team is trying to get more support from our European allies. I can't seem to find anybody who thinks, though, that there is going to be an invasion, that Vladimir Putin does want to go to war or test our resolve in this case. Do you believe that? I don't think anyone knows what Putin is going to do. Well, and Joe Biden seems you, to think he's ready to go for it. Biden thinks he's ready to go for it. There are some, certainly some uh, senators who are receiving intelligence reports who also think he is going to go for it. And he very well may. I mean, he's testing what the response will be. Mm-hmm. And he wants some concessions from the U.S. Obviously, we're going backwards uh, for what he wants to accomplish if we put troops into other East, Eastern European countries, because his whole goal is to get us to back away and have less of a military presence in Eastern right. Europe. So, so are we, we doing the right thing by well. moving in? I mean, we're kind of calling his bluff here a little bit. My personal view is that we should be doing more to deter him from doing this. Mm-hmm. Ukraine is a sovereign country, and uh, Russia has no right to be engaged in what has already been engaged in, which is uh, interference in, in, in Ukraine's government, uh, a presence in eastern Ukraine, uh, engaging in supporting separatists in eastern Europe, Ukraine and, and stirring up um, fighting inside Ukraine. And, and that's all done in order to stymie the democracy in Ukraine. And that's really what Putin wants. I mean, this is about democracy. Putin does not want democracies on his border. Sure. He feels those are a threat. And so if the U.S. still stands for supporting democracies around the world, supporting the spread of democracy, then we have to do more. As we spend some time uh, with David Tafuri trying to figure out the way forward here, uh, what do you make of the evacuation order? This is something that Bloomberg first reported late last week. It did come true. Some have thought it was posturing, though. Others thought it was maybe a response to what happened on the way out of Afghanistan. This is a White House that does not want to be caught in a situation like that again with Americans stuck behind, uh, I won't say enemy lines, but in a war zone. I think that's right. There's a lot of sensitivity around our embassies, and rightfully so. Our State Department and Secretary Blinken want to protect our diplomats and their families. And so that's why he's taken this action. Of course, I think it could have been messaged a little differently. What we should have made clear is we are continuing our diplomatic presence in Kiev. We're just moving out the families. And there's some in Ukraine who felt that message should have been made more clear because the way it was uh, talked about in the media made some people think this this is a sign that we are getting ready for Russia to invade Ukraine. Obviously, right. that's not what Ukraine wants as a message. When you back off and consider what we have seen the past couple of weeks, watching specifically Joe Biden in his conversations uh, with Vladimir Putin, in his uh, communications to the world, the American people and the world about his intentions, is this the Obama school? I ask you that as the former foreign policy advisor to the Obama campaign. Is he taking the, the Obama approach from his former boss, or has Joe Biden created an approach of his own? 
I think this is Biden's own approach. I mean, they're they're you know, obviously he served as eight, for eight years as yeah. vice president to Obama. He was part of the foreign policy team. But the approach here is a little bit different. And, you know, nobody can say that this is an easy situation to deal with. It's very difficult. And there are opinions on on different sides. We're dealing with a very cagey leader in Putin who has, you know, the singular goal of 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 disrupting, uh, you know, America's objectives abroad and fight, you know, preventing the stable stability of countries around him. And so how we do that, how we deter that while also not getting too engaged overseas, which is something that um, you know, American people want based on polling. And that's something is the view of, of mainstream politicians in both parties is okay. where there is a real challenge for this president. Well, let's talk about the challenge of, of crafting sanctions. Uh, obviously, Democrats did not want the bill put forth by Ted Cruz last week to sanction Nord Stream. There were concerns that essentially it, it, it didn't involve our European allies in crafting the approach here. And it sure seems like this administration wants to be arm locked with Europe before anything happens. How important will it be to have bipartisan support for sanctions on Capitol Hill? Is the president going to get what he needs there? I think he will get what he needs. Uh, For sanctions to work, they really have to strike at the heart of Putin. That means sanctioning more of the people around him, more of the businesses that he uses to line his own personal coffers. Pardon me? That's what they're promising now. Robert Menendez says he is the mother of all sanctions bills so it's your point is it's time to get personal with the sanctions but are republicans going to be on board i think they will be on board and i think that you know there's bipartisan support for deterring putin from taking you know for engaging in, in this kind of adventurism in ukraine or any other countries in eastern europe and i think the leaders in both parties recognize this and i think we'll get something through i certainly hope this rises above in our own domestic politics. Who's posturing? Both sides? I, you know, I don't, I don't want to say people are posturing. I think we're dealing with a very difficult challenge here. Uh, you know, until, in, over, until the last six months, people didn't really recognize the threat that Putin posed to Ukraine and to our other allies in Eastern Europe. And I think people in both parties are waking up to that now, and they still need to learn more. They still need to experiment with what are going to be the best uh, responses. And we also do have to get other countries around the world that are allies to support us because sanctions don't work if they're just Mm -hmm. U.S. sanctions. We understand French President Emmanuel Macron will be speaking with Putin or is planning to in the coming days, as I read on the Bloomberg, to press for a de-escalation on the border with Ukraine. It doesn't sound like Europe is is always uh, involving the United States in the way that it's handling this. And I know that the Germans don't necessarily agree uh, with the approach either here. How much of a concern is this? How much of a difficult job is it for Secretary of State Blinken to keep everybody on the same page? This is a big concern. What's strange about it is that Europe stands to lose more than the U.S. This, after all, is on their continent. It's happening very close to them. And if Russia expands into Ukraine and then takes that as a sign that no one will do anything if they expand into other countries like the Baltic states, that's a significant threat Mm. to Europe and to the EU countries. So the fact that they are not lockstep with us in terms of creating a more significant deterrent against Russia 
is a real surprise, and I think that's what the Biden team is working to accomplish with our European allies. When I read the story about, you know, Macron wants Russia to reduce its buildup or hear publicly what Moscow's intentions are, uh, according to this story on the terminal, it doesn't sound like an alliance speaking. I'm not so sure about that. Now, Macron is a very gifted leader, mm-hmm. and he may have his own way of, you know, trying to uh, contribute in a positive way to a compromise here by, you know, appealing to uh, Putin yeah. and not confronting him publicly, but perhaps privately making clear that France is going to support the U.S. I hope that's what's happening. Yeah, we do all hope that there is some uh, rationale here. David, thank you. David Fury, former Obama campaign foreign policy advisor, getting us rolling here on Sound On. We are off and running, and we'll assemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie are with us on Bloomberg. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. On the terminal, no plan to militarily evacuate U.S. citizens in Ukraine, a line attributed to Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary. And of course, we're all remembering last August, Afghanistan and the massive airlift that was conducted by our U.S. military. But efforts are underway to get people out. As we mentioned, family members of diplomats, Jen Psaki, the press secretary, once again was asked by a reporter, as you'll hear in the White House briefing here today, if Americans in the country are at risk. If Americans are still in Ukraine and things start happening with Russia, are they pretty much on their own? Well, we are conveying very clearly now that now is the time to leave and that there are means to do that. Of course, there's commercial airlines. You can depart over land. There's obviously the embassy there to provide assistance. And this is very similar to what we did in Ethiopia, Kazakhstan, and many other countries over the course of the last several decades. Uh, But there is not an intention or a plan for any military evacuation. We have it now, however, is the time to leave, she says. Let's assemble the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. Great to have you guys back today. We're spending a long uh, day together here, and, and your insights are valued. I want to hear from Jeannie first on this. Is this the right move? We talked earlier, Jeannie, about how 
They're being so careful to not repeat any mistakes from Afghanistan. Why not bring the C-47s in and start flying people out? Boy, Joe, it's been quite a day. And if they start doing that in the near future, I think that may just <laughs> set us all over the edge to repeat that. Mm. Um, I think they are making the right move by warning against travel to the Ukraine and telling people now is the time to consider getting out. But I do think it would probably at this point be a bit premature to send those in and try to move people that way. Um, you know, I kept thinking all day, you know, with the markets and everything else going on, it feels very, very precarious in the world. And I think to send that in and as we were to have a repeat of Afghanistan, which we, you know, can't even imagine at this point, yeah. I think that would be the wrong move for the administration. And I don't think it would help the situation. Rick, I dated myself with the C-47. How about a C-17 or something with jet engines on it? I guess the point is, should we be more concerned about moving people? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think, you know, uh, David Tafuri actually made the right point earlier in the interview where he said that, um, you know, it, messaging is more important right now than the actual action. Um, uh, Putin has not crossed the the, the red line yet, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and we need to show support for the Ukrainian sovereign country. And by looking like we're turning tail and running, uh, it's it's not a good message to send either to the Russians or to our European allies, all of whom we're pressuring to stand pat and make sure. Yeah that those impressions are the right ones. So yeah, I, I, I think they gotta take it step by step. In, in fact, I think they've done a little bit too much. They need to, they need to let the, the situation gel a little bit. Well, the messaging is still coming out of the White House. We actually just heard from President Biden who's holding an event about something altogether different we're gonna talk to Brian Deese about later on this hour. But of course, this is going to come up. He held an important meeting today, a video call with the leaders of our European allies. The president was just asked about this in the East Room. Here he is. President the only reason i don't like doing this is you never report on why i've called a meeting and this is really important i had a very 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 good meeting total unanimity with all the european leaders we'll talk about it later thank you hmm. total that's not what we've had reported Jeannie. that there were actually concerns that not everybody was on the same page germany sees it differently france wants to meet with putin are they are they unanimous here well, that's right. It, we have no evidence and we have to wait to see what the president has to say in terms of what he's talking about in terms of anonymity. Sure, they may be, you know, unanimity rather. They may be unanimous on something like if, uh, you know, Russia or Putin should go in with troops, they would take action. But beyond that, we see a variety of opinions on how to respond. And, you know, we should also note that the Ukrainian government said today that the move by the U.S. and the U.K. in terms terms of, you know, removing essential or personnel, family of essential personnel mm -hmm. um, and, and non-essential personnel from the embassies was a bit premature. So I think there is a sense in the Ukraine, importantly, that we've got to be a bit careful of how we respond to this. It sounds, Rick, like if you were advising the president right now, you'd tell him to cool it for a day, maybe not talk about this tomorrow. No, I think you've got to keep the pressure on Russia. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean Where are they going too uh, you far? start pulling the cord, you know, and, and withdrawing people out of Ukraine. Uh, I think Vladimir Putin's got to feel pressure from every angle, from Europe, you know, from his other host countries, all of whom are going to experience pressure f through these sanctions if they're applied, and especially from uh, President Biden, who 
is got the mouthpiece. I mean, you're right. Others are trying to get into the act. Uh, President Macron sees himself as a leader of Europe and wants his own channel in. But like right now, intensity matters because nothing is done until those tanks roll. And if you can stop that from happening, that you've you've avoided a disaster of mega proportions. Do we move those eight thousand troops, Rick? Yeah, I think that uh, you know it's it's one of these things. It's a bit of a chess game, right? Vladimir Putin puts troops into Belarus. Yeah. You know, we put troops into the Baltics. I mean, like I, I think you've got to match his moves because otherwise he looks like he can get away with this with impunity, and that's a mistake to believe that. You worry about blowback on moving eight thousand troops into Eastern Europe, Jeannie? Um, you always worry about blowback, but I think we do have to act. Look, he's asking to violate, the, or he's he's threatening to violate international order going into a sovereign country. It's yeah. got to be met with a swift and, and serious response. Coming up on Bloomberg Sound On, we will talk with President Biden's top economic advisor, Brian Deese, about the Federal Reserve meeting this week, the wild roller coaster on Wall Street, and competition. An important meeting happening today we'll hear about at the White House. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston, Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Is the White House worried about Wall Street? On the eve of this week's Federal Reserve meeting, could it derail the recovery? We'll ask Brian Deese about that, director of the White House Economic Council, as President Biden meets today with his so-called competition council in the hopes of keeping inflation in check. We now welcome one of the president's top economic advisors. Brian Deese is director of the National Economic Council and back with us on Bloomberg Sound On. Brian, I want to ask you about rising prices and the meeting today of the President's Competition Council. But we want to start with the stock market today, which is not something we tend to talk about. A roller coaster today, as we just heard, and following steep losses the past couple of weeks. This year, really, the major index is falling into correction territory. I know President Biden says he does not obsess over the stock market, like certainly like his predecessor. But at what point do you worry about volatility and losses on Wall Street leading to less spending and less hiring? Well, look, it's something that we monitor very closely, and obviously the Treasury Department uh, has an entire unit that's focused on that. We stay in close touch with them, particularly a day like today where you see uh, some additional trading volatility. Uh, but today's a good example, a lot of dip, and now we're sort of back even uh, end of the day. What we try to do is focus on the core drivers of the real economy um, and understand how our economic policy can help to improve and, and accelerate those. So um, that's why we try uh, to wake up every morning and not focus on, you know, the, the, the movements uh, heretofore of ups yeah. and downs. That's why you hear out of the White House, we don't, you know, comment on individual intraday trading or otherwise. Um, but if you look and you take a step back, what you see is really historic strength in household balance sheets, historic strength in underlying economic growth, historic mm -hmm. strength in the labor market. All of those things are uh, important and positive, uh, but they're in the context of an economy where we still have some real challenges. And we, the questions we ask ourselves is, what can we be doing to try to sustain that recovery in a way that goes at the price challenges that we're facing and make sure that you know the ultimate you know, middle-class family sitting around a kitchen table um, has the tools it needs to, uh, to achieve 
achieve economic goals. Well, a lot of them, of course, have 401ks. And I just ask if, if, if you worry about a negative wealth effect, not in a single day of trading, but over a period of time. Well, look, I think, again, think about the context here. We have seen historic increases in housing prices. Yeah. We've seen um, you know, historic increases in, 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 uh, in the market over the course of the last couple of years. Indeed. And so, so you're not losing sleep over it, obviously. The, the, well, the wealth effect is one, impact into the, one uh, impact into the economy. So is the labor market. Mm-hmm. And are, you know, are jobs plentiful? Can people move uh, to new job opportunities? And particularly, the, you know, 50% of, uh, the Americans, of the American people who are not not invest in the stock market because they don't even have a 401k. How can we give those people, those families, more opportunities to grow and create wealth? Uh, so all of those things factor into our overall yeah. economic point of view. But we try to look at it, you know, without getting focused on, you know, the the, the you know every every minute, every second every day. of the day. Sure. On the, well, on the eve of the Fed meeting this week, the president today uh, meeting with the White House Competition Council. Uh, I know there have been some issues getting that council uh, populated here in terms of of getting people approved on Capitol Hill and so forth. About half the tasks the council, I understand, has on its list involve independent agencies like FTC, FCC and so forth. And those nominees are stalled in the Senate right now. Does that affect your ability to move forward on things like non-compete clauses? Uh, I know some of the other uh, aims of the council was to increase choices uh, when it comes to Internet providers. Where does all that stand? Sure. Well, this has been a, a really historic effort um, across all of government and, as you say, the cabinet agencies, but also the independent agencies as well. In July, we put out a historic executive order that had 72 specific actions, all based on a pretty simple but important economic intuition, which is fair and open competition is a fundamental ingredient of a healthy capitalist economy. Um, It is really what drives better outcomes, lower prices, higher wages, more innovation, more economic growth. That's the core of this. Now, the 72 actions are really about changing the dynamic of the executive branch to look for places to promote competition wherever we can. Over the course of that six months, uh, you know, we'll report today that um, we're on track on all of those actions. Some of those we've seen very practical and tangible outputs for uh, a typical consumer, um, something like ending surprise medical billing, uh, which is a hassle and can be an economic, a devastating economic hit for, uh, for families who end up with somebody in the emergency room. Uh, Others of these are longer-term efforts where the steps we're taking are really changing the way that um, a a federal agency operates, changes uh, priorities as well. How do you pursue those, though, if you can't get these nominees set? Well, the good news is if you look across um, the uh, certainly the cabinet agencies and most of the independent agencies, we have strong teams in place and either have gotten confirmed uh, nominees or, or acting heads that are able to move forward. You're right in the summit, uh, uh, you know, in a couple places, uh, we need uh, the Senate to move uh, and confirm uh, nominees. But, sure. you know, I will, I'll be sitting around the table with 17 different either cabinet heads or heads of independent agencies. And in most cases, they've got both the tools and the resources they need to plow forward. Well, I know our time is really short, Brian, so I'd love to just squeeze a couple questions in here uh, as well about legislation uh, aimed at competing more with China, including the CHIPS Act, already passed the Senate. I spoke with Senator Sherrod Brown last week about the new Intel plant. You also spoke with Bloomberg about it. To be clear, though, even if this passes, it becomes law, wouldn't it take years for new foundries to begin operating? How do you deal with the chip shortage now, I guess, is the question. 
So it's a great question, and we had the CEO of Intel uh, here as well as Sherrod Brown and, and Senator, uh, Senator Portman yeah. on Friday. Uh, a big sea change in the both willingness and the capability of investing domestically in the United States to build industrial resilience around semiconductors. Uh, and so, yes, that takes time. But the good news is because the president acted almost immediately after taking office, the $20 billion that Intel announced last Friday comes on the top of $80 billion in investment by companies, firms to invest domestically last and year. And then you'd add another, so, what, $52 billion, I think, in this legislation, right? $52 billion from the legislation, which yeah. is really intended to provide the groundwork to leverage multiples of that in private capital. So look, it takes more than a day or a week or a month to get this going. But the sooner, the, the more we act with urgency around that, the sooner we'll start to see uh, those Im, uh, impacts. We're not waiting, though, and I would say that you know our Department of Commerce and the White House is working diplomatically, internationally, as well as with major companies to make sure that we have more transparency in the supply chain yep. and that U.S. companies are getting a fair shake with the existing stock of semiconductors that's being made. As you know, we're principally reliant on foreign suppliers. Sure. That's a problem that we're going to solve over the next couple of years, but over the next couple of months, we're going to try to make sure that there's enough transparency in the market that our businesses are getting their fair share of the allocations. I know we have just a minute left, Brian. I just want to ask you quickly about the Fed, not what it's doing tomorrow or this week, but over the course course of this year. As an economist, how worried are you about this Fed hits the gas too hard that that the tightening regime leads to a recession? The thing that we can do uh, here at the White House and that the president can do is nominate really high quality individuals to serve uh, on the federal the board of governors of the Federal Reserve. As you have and underscore the independence of the institution to make those types of choices. Uh, all these choices are difficult, fiscal policy and uh, monetary policy. But what we can do most if, uh, effectively is, as you say, get those nominees out there. and yeah. Hopefully the Senate will move to confirm all five of the nominees that we've put forward uh, without delay. And then give them the independence to operate. Certainly, I think it's appropriate as the the board and Chair Powell have signaled, um, their recalibration that is underway. Um, but we're going to give them the space uh, to make those judgments across time. In the so you're not worried of, about that, though. You, you you are giving them room to breathe. I will tell you, I am worried about everything. It's part of my job to wake up in the morning <laughs> and worry about everything. But I guess what I would say is I I – what we can most constructively do in the moment we find ourselves in is reinforce that those independent judgments on the monetary policy side are independent, and certainly the uh, the recalibration underway is appropriate. Uh, that is that's that's appropriate. They will make those judgments, and we will focus on what we can work on uh, with the executive tools we have in place mm -hmm. and working with Congress, that's like what our competition council work is all about, is using the tools of the executive branch to expand the productive capacity of the economy so that as we come through this period, we actually can see more innovation, more job growth, and more capacity for growth in the economy. Brian Deese, we thank you for coming back to see us on Bloomberg. Thank you. Great to cover that much ground with the president's economic advisor, Brian Deese, uh, the Competition Council meeting this hour, as I mentioned, the president, that when you heard him, we played a quick uh, bite from him earlier this hour, they allowed the press into the room, a little pool spray in there. And now this has become an issue, a hot mic moment. Let's get the panel back in first. I would like to hear from Rick and Jeannie uh, following our conversation with Brian Deese, Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Shanzano 
and Rick Davis. Does it sound to you, Rick, like a White House that has its arms around uh, this inflation story as we wait to hear from the Fed this week? This competition council will be going after, as he said, 72 different items. Is that a comprehensive approach? You know, I think this is just throwing a blanket over a, a, a roaring fire, right? I mean, you know, there are so many different things that you can do mm-hmm. regarding inflation, and it looks like they're going to—they're not going to differentiate. They're just going to throw the kitchen sink at everything they think they can do. Uh, none of it, um, you know, probably is is going to be purported to have a significant impact. When you look at grocery prices and gas prices, the things they're doing can chip away at that. But um, I think they they realize they have to be seen as taking action. And I think this is the message out of the council today is, hey, we're taking action. Mm -hmm. And some of it's going to take credit for things that they've already done unrelated to inflation. And then other things are going to be reprogrammed into the inflation bucket. But that's a pretty big bucket. Jeannie, the White House never wanted to get into a situation where they were taking credit for Wall Street because that can that can come around and, and bite you, uh, as, as we've seen the markets recently uh, head lower. Should, however, this White House be more concerned about the volatility, about the, the major losses as the Fed begins to tighten? I think they are very concerned, and I think we just heard Brian Deese allude to that. He's probably not getting much sleep these days as he's got his head wrapped around so many things. But I do think he's right in terms of telling you that this is one piece of what they're trying to do. They don't have, you know, enormous number of tools to fight inflation. They do understand that if they aren't able to turn the tide on inflation, it is going to be a game ender for them in the midterms. So they're doing what they can. This is one of the tools they have at their disposal disposal. It's not going to address everything. But from the start of creating this council, they talked about the fact that they may be able to address to a certain extent, you know, some of what has happened with, you know, competition or the lack of it in areas like food and energy. So they're trying to address some of that. But there's many other things they need to do at the same time. And I think that we're seeing them do that. But they do want to be seen as using the tools that they have, not legislative tools, but of course the tools the executive has, those are limited, yeah. but they're using them. As for the hot mic moment that I mentioned, reporters are on their way out. You know, normally this this happens. You hear everyone start screaming. The press handlers go, thank you, thank you, thank you. And all the reporters are, Mr. President. So that happened again here. The president has stopped taking a lot of these, by the way. Usually he'll just, but in this case, he's sitting there with the, the competition council, just waiting for the wranglers to get the reporters out of the room and he got caught on a mic saying something not too nice about uh, it was i guess it was peter Ducey, the fox news uh reporter who you will hear in this cut uh we don't want to dwell too much on this but there is there are some important questions to be asked listen to president biden as the reporters are being ushered out of the room that's a great asset more inflation what a stupid son of a okay They called the reporter a stupid SOB. And apparently it was made pretty clear to him immediately. They cut the sound at that point. That's the end of it. Uh, This is going to make news headlines for the rest of the week, most likely. Reminds me me of another administration, big time. Uh, I wonder, though, Rick, as you consider President Biden, he got testy in that news conference last week. He has started showing his teeth a little bit when reporters ask questions he thinks are stupid. I want to ask you about the way he's handling the media, but is this White House being covered fairly? 
Uh, look, I think the White House is being covered exactly the same way all White Houses have been covered, and, and, and it's not a fairness question, right? I mean, that's why they call it the free press. <laughs> they, can, they can cover it any way they want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the public gets to decide whether or not it's, it's fair or not. And, uh, but, like, these are unforced errors. This is, you just can't allow yourself to be drawn into uh, what is clearly an effort to try and gotcha. And in this case, they got him, and he responded to something he shouldn't have. Uh, on a hot mic, and that's that's going to be this week's YouTube moment. That's uh, right. He's just he's feeding the bears, uh, Jeannie. That's going to keep the the clock moving at Fox for the next several days. Oh, this will this will probably go twenty four seven for several days on several media out, outlets. And to your point, presidents have had. I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago. We all remember about ten years ago when when Obama uh, was caught on a hot mic talking to the Russian president about yeah. after his election we'll have more flexibility. Yeah. You know, uh, most presidents or many people in public life get caught on these hot mics. Um, you know, the president, you know, has long. President Biden has long had a temper. Anybody who's followed Joe Biden, he has had a temper from the time he started in public life. So this is not a surprise, but he does have to try to control this because let's be fair. The question asked was, you know, it was a question that should be asked. It's a question about inflation. He may not like the question. He might not like the questioner, but he's got to handle it better. Rick and Jeannie with us for the rest of the hour as we spend some time with the panel on a Monday. I'm glad you're with us on the fastest hour in politics. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk. From liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. So the state of Virginia... And by that, I don't only mean Northern Virginia outside the nation's capital, but the state of Virginia with its new governor, Glenn Youngkin, seems to quickly uh, be on its way to to becoming ground zero for the argument over mandates, and specifically, in this case, the mask mandate for schools. As I read in the Washington Post, seven now, seven school boards are suing to stop Governor Youngkin's mask optional order on the day it takes effect. This started with a couple of counties, Fairfax County Public Schools outside of Washington, uh, still the the biggest uh, district in the state is leading this, but there are several others now, and it came up today in the White House press briefing. Maybe this is why President Biden was upset with Ducey. He asked a question of uh, Press Secretary Jen Psaki about this, because there's been a back and forth here. Psaki's kids go to school in Arlington. She had been tweeting about it. The idea here is, though, that he wants this to be optional. 
These school districts say no. We're going to sue to keep this mandate. And Ducey's trying to get to the bottom of it with Jen Psaki. Here he is. What we're advising school districts on is to abide by public health guidelines and follow public health guidelines. And it's about keeping an entire community safe. And those are the decisions that are being, uh, that people should focus on making. And just so that it's crystal clear for anybody watching, you guys think that ultimately in this conflict between school board members and parents, the school board members should have more of a say in what what it's actually not what i said i think everybody should abide by public health guidelines not just to keep their own kids safe but keep their, their school community safe whether it's teachers classmates uh, administrators others in schools this is going to be a major issue on the midterm campaign trail as pretty much everything governor youngkin is doing is becoming an issue let's hear about it uh, from the panel, Rick and Jeannie are here, Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Shanzano, Rick Davis. Rick, you live in Virginia. You certainly know the area very well also. Uh, Glenn Youngkin is just getting started, and these lawsuits, the seven, were filed the day that this mandate took effect. Is this going to set precedent for the nation? Is Virginia going to be the place this is decided? You know, um, each of these states have a different constitution, and in the Virginia Constitution, it actually gives the responsibility to the school board to make decisions based on public health. And mm -hmm. so in this case, sure, it sets up nicely for uh, the drama that uh, Governor Youngkin wants to create because he ran his campaign on basically saying that parents should have ultimate control on the curriculum and what happens in the school, regardless of what the state constitution says. Uh, it's, a, it's a real twist on the Republican orthodoxy, because for the last 30 years, uh, Republicans wanted school board decisions because because we could compete in school boards, take them over and then and then use that as a vehicle. Now it's even one step closer to the family, which is mothers and fathers should make these decisions. What do you think, Jeannie? The way this reads, by the way, in Virginia's Constitution, Article 8, Section 7, as I read in the post, asserts that the supervision of schools in each school division shall be vested in a school board. Lawyers also say Youngkin's order contradicts the state law requiring school districts to follow federal health guidelines. So let's have it. How's this going to turn out? Well, that's right. That was SB 1303, and that was one aspect of this lawsuit, along with the Constitution. And what we, the school districts and the school boards are fearing is chaos as parents come to school, some masked uh, saying they're following yeah. the school districts, and some unmasked saying they're following the governor. So this certainly does need to be clarified. It is unfair to the parents, it's unfair to the teachers, and most importantly, it's unfair to the, the school children in terms of what they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, I do think that as you look at the state constitution and you look at the state law that it does look like he may have over he being the governor governor overstepped his powers here but the courts in virginia are going to have to decide that well they are and the school boards joining fairfax i should mention if you don't have to live there to have heard of some of these places arlington alexandria falls church prince william county richmond public schools the capital Seven boards out with a statement says the school divisions need to continue to preserve their authority to protect and serve all students. We'll be tracking this. This really gets to the heart of what's going to be a huge issue on the campaign trail, and it certainly was in the Virginia gubernatorial race. It really cracked this open as a national issue, which is the say, as Rick referred to, the amount of say that parents have in the way their kids are educated, and in this case, 
how their, I guess, personal health is managed at school as well, but impact on school decisions by parents, as opposed to what happened today in Boston. I don't know if you guys heard uh, Michelle Wu, the new mayor, uh, going forth with a worker vaccine mandate. This is for, for public workers. Half the fire department showed up today as she was outside. I think we have tape of that. She was outside uh, City Hall uh, preparing to hold a news conference. And boy, the crowd. Listen to this. Let us work! Let us work! Let us work! Members of the fire department chanting uh, outside City Hall. The Boston City Employee Vaccine manda uh, Mandate uh, saw its deadline extended by a week. It brings us back to what we saw in New York here, though, Rick. The politicians uh, are getting into some very dangerous waters here when it comes to mandates for not just masks, but vaccines. How is this going to shake out at the end of the year? I feel like we have a, you know, this pot is is starting to boil here as we head for the midterms. Yeah, I think you're entirely right. And it Thank you for that clip. It's good to hear a nice protest every now and yeah, then on the sure. show. Uh, and, uh, and, and look, I do think it's a dynamic that politicians in every jurisdiction have to be keenly aware of, right? I mean, we were just talking about Yunkin fighting a mass mandate in schools mm -hmm. that maybe in six months nobody will care about because we'll be beyond a mass mandate. Uh, and, and this is a very similar situation. So because the pandemic is so dynamic and we, we actually hope for a situation where all these things can be unraveled, these, these uh, impingements on our freedoms, uh, that uh, you, you, you kind of worry that uh, many of these politicians could break their pick on some of these guidelines only to be undermined by the success of fighting a pandemic. Wow. Is this worth uh, Michelle Wu's time as the new mayor of Boston? Jeannie, you would think that with liberal politics in certain corners, at least of Massachusetts, this would be very popular because there's also a vaccine mandate there in Boston uh, for restaurants like like here in New York as well. Yeah, you would think, but having lived there, and, and I know you did, yeah. and, and you know it well, it is not quite as liberal in Boston That's as true. some people imagine from the outside. You have a very strong population devoted to civil liberties going back to well before the founding, and much of the founding occurred there. So, you know, to me, this is not a surprise in Boston or elsewhere. This is part of our history, and these debates will carry on, whether masks, vaccines, or something else. We're going to keep following these debates too because at some point there will be critical mass it's going to play already is playing into the national conversation in the midterm election year rick and Jeannie, thanks as ever bloomberg politics contributors in our panel on this monday i'm joe matthew coming to you live from new york and i'll meet you back here tomorrow on balance of power this is bloomberg top thrill two is like no other course two 420 foot vertical speedways three launches all right let's talk strategy Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.